was a, a, an outgoing person, a people person. She um, was caring. She liked to make you laugh. She was a hard worker. Um, she, and she was going to school. What was she going to school for? She was uh, going to be an x-ray tech. And you said she had a daughter. So how old was her daughter when Camry went missing? She was, Camry missed in 2012. She was born. She was four. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. terrible. She was so young. Um, so because a lot of this story revolves around the whole prescription medication thing, I want to go back to, did, because I I worked in pharmacy for many years. In fact, I, um, remember a pharmacist, um, and this was in the nineties. So I remember one of the pharmacists that I worked for talking about an uptick in a doctor's prescribing opiates. And he said, this is going to be a problem. And sure enough, it was in later years, doctors were over prescribing opiates uh, at a huge tick at that time. And, um, and I, I think that we don't talk enough about how these things get started because they usually start with a regular doctor visit and a prescription. Did she have some sort of pain management issue that started this whole ball rolling? Well, yeah, and, it's, and it started with having her daughter. Um, when she had her daughter, she had a lot of complications with um, kidney stones. Um, and then after she had her daughter, she had some complications with her hips going back into alignment. Um, and I told her, I said, look, I said, you really need to go to physical therapy and let them teach you some exercises to do instead of going to a pain management doctor, as her dad has suggested. Um, because that's just, you're, you're just, you're just masking it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that was my suggestion to her, but then, um, you know, she really didn't follow that and, um, the other route. It's how a lot of people become addicted. At first, the medications are prescribed for a valid reason, but once they become addicted and the doctor will no longer provide those narcotics, the person will find other ways to satisfy that need. Opiates in particular are a high-volume medication that are prescribed at these pain clinics, and they are also drugs that have been ravaging this country for the better part of the last decade or so. I mean, at first it started out fine. You know, it was was working for her, but then it became the old, um, what everybody was doing with it. They were selling them, they were taking them, they were, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It became a money, money thing then because, it, you know, they were popular, I guess. Right. And the first thing is opiates are highly addictive, number one. That's just, the, uh, you know, and I've done some research on it because I have uh, family members that have had addiction issues. So it's not anything that's new to me. Um, and it's, it's almost impossible to get off of opiates. So hydrocodone, oxycodone, things like that. It's very hard to get off of them. A lot of these pain clinics, are, they're basically a pipeline for medications from the pharmacy to the street is what happens. So after she started taking them, how long before the pills started becoming a problem? Well, I didn't, I didn't know that there were that big of a problem until the issue with her daughter came about because before she went missing, the boyfriend she had at the time, he um, abused my granddaughter. Oh, wow. Um, my daughter had walked in on him, um, flinging her around the room. <gasps> Um, then he was out of the picture. And then, of course, you know, um, my granddaughter got taken from my daughter um, because of the fact that we didn't take her to the emergency room immediately after the cops had left because the, they told us to, you know, DCF would be in contact with you. Um, my granddaughter didn't seem, didn't, didn't have any physical signs of being hurt. You know, I, I mean, I've raised four kids. Kids are very resilient. Right. And I figured instead of taking her to the hospital and being an extra... Put an extra shock. Mm-hmm. 
I would take her home and lay her down with her mother and we would go to sleep until DCF, you know, came and said, okay, let's, what, what, this is what we need to do. Um, well, they took it as the fact that we were trying to hide the fact that she got hurt. Um, oh, I see. so then they sent us to the ER and we sat in the ER all day, mind you. Okay. Um, with the little girl that they're saying is this is, she needed to be there at three o'clock in the morning, but she's going to sit here all day now. Um, and mm. so, yeah, then that's, then, then that started, um, my daughter on a downhill spiral, basically. Um, and then that's when I realized that she really had a problem. You know, I tried to help her with it. I tried to say, okay, look, you know, let's, um, well, then, then she needed money so that she could live and survive and, you know, work on daughter back. And, um, so then it was just a vicious cycle Yeah. at that point in time, um, because we needed to get the pills so that we, A, we could function, um, because she, you know, she did have back problems to a certain degree. Um, they could have, she could have taken some, um, BCs or something. <laughs> they probably would have helped her just as much. Um, and then, you know, she used it, she used it for the money value as well. And then got into the vicious cycle that she ended up in. Andrelo's business, as you've learned in this podcast, was the drug business. And he would sponsor people to visit the clinic using the guise of an ailment in order to get prescribed pain pills. A lot of these pain clinics are shady places that are basically pipelining drugs from the pharmacy to the street with a few middlemen or women in between. And we have to assume that Camry was getting something out of this deal. She's not going to go through all this trouble and not get something in return, particularly if she was addicted to these pills. She would want some for herself. So the deal was, as far as everyone that I've spoken with, that Camry would get some of these pills. Andrelo would pay for the office visit and the prescription, and he'd give some of them to her, and he would keep the rest to sell on the street. We learned that Andrelo's uncle was also actively involved in this pain clinic drug prescription scam. He drove Camry to the pain clinic on at least one occasion, and that's when Turtle's wife met Camry. Remember, she said she got out of the vehicle to say hi and said something about the uncle being cute, and then Turtle's wife told her that he was married. Camry. Right. So Punker would take her. She got her prescription. Mm-hmm. He would drive her, pay for the appointment, get the drugs from her, pay her for him, take her home. Yeah. Well, and I said, Uncle because when I went down to Tampa with Punker one time, Uncle I had to go in the car, that's the only time I ever met her. So, Camry, when was the last time that you saw that's her? That's the only time I ever saw her, was that day. That's the day I met her in Bainesville. I knew about her, I knew what they were doing. Okay. I only saw her one time, though, and that's because Punk wanted me to go down to the doctor and have an MRI. I said, okay, okay, I'll do it, leave me alone, you know? And when I got down there with Punk everyone was in the parking lot with Camry. So I'm like, what's the deal with all this nonsense, you know? So after Camry and Andrelo visit the pain clinic in the pharmacy to get the drugs on August 24th, there appears to have been a disagreement about the pills. Specifically, Camry believed that at least some of those pills were supposed to be hers. Now, obviously, if Andrelo is in possession of someone else's prescription medication, that's already illegal. And he knows his pill scheme is illegal. Camry knows it too. So the actual truth of what occurred with these pills is ambiguous in my mind. It seems like there was a deal between the two that was not adhered to, and things snowballed out of control from there. The next day, Camry and a friend and fellow drug user named Stephanie, as well as her father, went over to Andrelo's house to get the pills that she believed she was owed. According to her father's report, Andrelo had told Camry by phone that he would give her half the pills. 
Now, I know, and you know, and pretty much anyone with a functioning brainstem can also guess that there is not a single good thing that's going to come out of stealing drugs from a drug dealer, and Camry's father should have known that. Even if this drug dealer did, in fact, steal your agreed-upon portion from you first. A guy that is known to beat the shit out of women that he dates, steal the money that they worked for, menace and bully people with a gun, not a single good thing is going to come from this. And it is this series of events that sets up everything that will follow. The problem here is that when people are addicted to drugs, they tend to make bad choices. And clearly people who exploit others to sell those drugs aren't making good decisions either. Nobody in this scenario is making good decisions. It's also important to note that people like Andrelo prey on people like Camry specifically, Camry and Heather, because they know their addiction makes them more vulnerable. So the first 911 call that day was made by Andrelo's girlfriend, who he lived with at the time. Andrelo's girlfriend told the police that she came home and she was missing items from her bedroom. She was gone for approximately 45 minutes, and when she got back home, her kids told her that one man and two women had been there. Importantly, the kids say that they remembered the man and one of the females because they had been to their house the day before. This detail tends to corroborate the statement by Camry's father, who said that he had come to the house to pick Camry up the previous day. In fact, he said she and Andrelo's girlfriend had gotten into an argument, and Camry called him to pick her up. So if the kids both saw Camry and her father for long enough the day before to recognize them, clearly they were all in close contact, either inside or outside the house. In the incident here, Andrelo's girlfriend said that $1,300 was missing from her wallet and a gold chain necklace. She mentioned nothing about pills at all to the police, which is not a surprise. She couldn't very well tell police that part of the story, could she? My boyfriend is in an illegal narcotics scheme, and one of the people that had the prescription, who he was selling half her pills, came back to take some of her pills. That story's obviously not going to fly with law enforcement. There was a neighbor that did see them drive up. One of them knocked on the door, and then the vehicle backed into the yard on the other side of the residence. At some point, then the neighbor saw both women walking around the side of the house, near where Andrelo's girlfriend reported finding a window open. The oldest child said that her little brother had answered the door. He recognized Camry and her father, and he let them inside the home. Mr. Mitchell went to the bathroom. The kids said that Camry went to their mom's room and shut the door. They said that she was only in there about two and a half minutes, and then she came out, and they left. At some point, Stephanie had come in and was chatting with the kids while Camry was in the room and her dad was in the bathroom, and this was obviously a way to keep the kids occupied while Camry looked for the pills. So the first thing here is that Camry denied even being in the house when she was questioned, so she lied. But her father and Stephanie admitted to being there. Mr. Mitchell said that they were there to get the pills that were stolen from his daughter the day before, and both he and Stephanie said they knew nothing about stolen money or a gold chain. Police did try, but they were not able to lift any fingerprints from the window. Now, did Camry take the money in the necklace along with the pills? Possibly, she may have. I have no way of knowing whether she did or not. Because it's clear that Andrelo's girlfriend failed to mention the real reason why Camry was there in the first place, the pills. So it's also possible that she lied about the money in the necklace because she couldn't report the real reason for Camry being there, the pills, that her boyfriend planned to sell because they were legally prescribed for someone else. But we do know that Andrelo himself admitted to going to Camry's house later to steal back those pills, 
thus admitting that that's what she came to get at his house in the first place. He never mentioned anything about money or a gold chain, never in the subsequent interviews with police or in any other statement that I've read. But I do know from Pungan personally that, uh, well, he told me one story and Kevin elaborated on it. So uh, Pungan told me, because we called Pungan, because news traveled fast down here. But what the hell's going on, Pungan? And he said, I took her down to Tampa. I bought the pills. I paid for her apartment. He said, and when and I left the house, she, uh, she got into the house and stole back her pills. So you went back mm-hmm. over there apparently with a gun and uh, demanded his stuff back. From Cameron. Yeah, from Cameron. That's the story I got from him. Did he get it back? Yeah. Okay. What did Pumpkin tell you, though? Pumpkin told me she robbed my pills, so I went over there and robbed them back. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. Maria said flat out. When I asked him why he went there, He said, Camry robbed my pills, so I robbed them back. No mention of money, no mention of a necklace. And before I tell you what happened after Camry and her dad and Stephanie stole back those pills from Andrelo, I think I need to give you some backstory on that girlfriend. At the time this incident occurs, Andrelo lives with her and her children. She was another victim of his violence, although she will not admit that he abused her, despite multiple police reports that outline the contrary. One of these reports reads, quote, According to the victim and witness statements, the subject did commit the above offense, which is listed as aggravated domestic battery. The victim stated that the subject, Andrela Witcher, her boyfriend who lives with her and her children in a family setting, did strike her multiple times with his fist and an unknown object. The injuries sustained during the altercation were severe enough that the victim was thought to have a brain bleed. It was later determined that the victim had multiple bruises, swelling on her back and chest, her extremities, her head, and she had a broken nose. The victim advised investigators that this is the third time that she has been hospitalized as a result of beatings from the defendant. The incident in this particular report occurred on May 5th, only three months before Camry Mitchell went missing. The victim lived with Andrelo about eight miles from where Camry was staying with her father at the time. When an investigator on that case traveled to Shan's hospital in Gainesville to interview Andrelo's girlfriend, she refused to make a formal statement. She said that Andrelo had told her he would kill her if she told police. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Both the investigator and her sister, as well as a nurse, tried to convince her, but she would not allow the investigator to take or record her statement. But the report notes that she did tell the original investigator that Andrelo had beat her many times, and she'd been in the hospital three times in the past 12 months. The report also states that after the beating, Andrelo took her car and that she had called his mom and told her she wasn't going to press charges, but he needed to drop off her car at a relative's house. Because police in that incident were confident that a battery had occurred, they continued the investigation. They went back to the residence that she shared with Andrelo, and there were no vehicles present, so that tended to corroborate what she had said about him taking her vehicle. They also found the back door open. They searched the house for Andrelo, but he wasn't there. They did find a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, fully loaded. The report states, quote, Due to knowing that Andrelo was a convicted felon, and the nature of the incident, the shotgun was taken at that time for safekeeping. 
They continued to try to track Andrelo down, but he had gone into hiding. After the girlfriend was released from the hospital, she didn't go home. There's a follow-up report that states that she was staying at the Ramada Inn in Lake City. She continued to refuse to cooperate. Because this was a domestic violence incident and because a weapon had been found in the house, she was asked to provide the names of her children and advised that the Department of Children and Families would be in touch. The girlfriend also claimed that the gun they had found was hers and that she had recently bought it at a gun show. In the end, charges were filed despite her lack of cooperation. So that's the backstory regarding Andrelo's girlfriend that he was living with when this incident occurred. And the only reason I shared it is because it does suggest a pattern of her covering for Andrelo, which may have been repeated when the incident with the pills arose. The heartbreaking part here is that Andrelo continues to blame this ex-girlfriend for the things that went wrong in his life. In this clip, he's literally blaming her for his multiple prison stints, despite her loyalty to him. I told you a long time ago, but you don't still get it. The enemy is using you. You don't see it. And it's plain as day to me because you try to say, I give her advice and this and that. Listen, first off, if you and by all this time was friends or connected like that, y'all don't pray together, y'all don't go to church together. This is just something the enemy is using because of my connection. One thing about the enemy, the enemy knows me and your bond. Before you with him, you know who she used to keep contact with me? Turn on That's how she was always able to get back in my life. And when I think back, since I've been knowing God has been delivering me, trying to deliver me from, from the first time I got caught up with I've been going to prison. God has been sitting inside. Since I've been knowing I've been going to prison. When I first, when I went to prison about that car, I was going to see her, take us under eat. When I got out for them 45 days, who house was I over and left my box at? Who was I going because them people went in the house? But how have been able to keep a hole in my life through people that I've been close with? Don't be self-deceived, you know what I'm saying? This is just a, a trick of the enemy that he's using to keep a hole in my life. Period. It's been a, it's been going on since 2007. It's been going on since 2007. Think about it. Remember that time when I got out of prison at FSP? She, do she got in contact with you? I'm in the car when she called you. Oh, there's Oh, he's not here. It's that connection. I'm gonna be. I don't met a lot of people. You have one minute left. She is, when I say demonically bound and entangled, she's one of them type people more you got to cut off the leg. She is bound heavy. So, the day after the visit to the pain clinic, Camry and her friend and her dad go to steal back the pills that she says Andrelo and his girlfriend had previously taken from her. Based on the kids' statements, they had been to the house the day they made that trip to the pain clinic. But you can see it, can't you? This whole thing unfolding in slow motion, like watching a horror movie. I almost have to stifle the urge to cover my eyes with my hands and peek through my fingers as the tension builds. According to Camry's father, 
After they stole back her pills, they got back to his house, and he gets in an argument with his daughter. Maybe it's because she had basically just stolen from a drug dealer, and even he, a user, knew that that was a really bad idea. Maybe it was then that he learned that in addition to the pills, she had stolen money and a gold chain. Again, that part is unclear to me. In Mr. Mitchell's handwritten statement about the altercation that would occur in his house, there is a line that says, quote, I asked him, Andrela, why he was taking her meds and her money, and he said, I shouldn't worry about that. According to Mr. Mitchell, her friend Stephanie leaves his house on foot because at this point, the two of them are arguing. Lucky for Stephanie, she got out of there before around 10 p.m. when Andrelo pulls into Mr. Mitchell's driveway in a silver car with two other unknown males. They actually run another vehicle that was pulling out of the Mitchell's driveway off the road. Such was the speed of their ingress. Both Mr. Mitchell and the driver that was run off the road said that the vehicle was a silver car, and I want you to stick a pin in that because that description will come up later from yet another witness. So, three men get out of the silver car. The three men enter the home, quote, based on admissions by the defendant, Witcher, via telephone, and witness statements from the victims, while armed and without invitation. The defendant then made threats to them verbally. Mr. Mitchell said he followed Andrelo and the men inside, and he sees Andrelo looming over his daughter, and she's cowering beneath him on the couch. She's got her hands up over her head, like she's waiting for him to hit her. Andrelo has the gun tucked into the front waistband of his pants, and he's demanding his pills. Andrelo grabs Camry's purse and he snatches pills from inside. As the three men beat their hasty retreat, Camry grabs the phone and calls 911, the second 911 call of the day related to this incident. She makes it out to the porch with the phone in mid-call. Now, I was told that there are certain voices that were heard on that call, and if that's true, I suspect that that would be played in court as evidence in any upcoming trial. When Andrelo notices that she's got the phone and she's making the call, he screams, Oh, hell no, you didn't. Yes, sir, she did, just like your girlfriend, and this ugly game of chicken is about to get uglier. Camry's dad says one of the other men aggressively turns around and runs toward Camry on the porch, but Andrelo calls him back to the car and throws her pills down in the yard. Before driving off, according to Camry and her father, Andrelo threatens them that he'll be back, and he warns them how their cars might not be safe on the road. Those are pretty specific threats. Basically, I'm coming back for you. I know what you drive, so even if you leave, I'll find you. About an hour later, police arrived and took the report from Camry and her father. In his handwritten statement, Mr. Mitchell writes, I was working in my bedroom on water damage when a car pulled into my driveway. Three black males came to my porch. The leader, so to speak, Punkin, said I made a big mistake coming to his house bringing Camry. I asked why that's her meds and her money. Andrelo said I shouldn't worry about that. I needed to worry about my vehicles and sleep. I told him it looks like the law would be handling this anyway, and he said it wouldn't make it that far. He had taken the bottle of her meds from her tonight. I asked for them back, and he threw them on the ground, and he said he'd be seeing us. Camry's handwritten statement reads as follows. Andrela Witcher and two of his friends, one of their names was Eric, I believe, came into my dad's house uninvited saying that I came to his house and stole something from his house, because yesterday, Andrelo and his girlfriend, and then she names the girlfriend, 
took my bottle of 180 oxycodone, 30 milligrams. My father, my friend Stephanie, and I went to Andrelo's residence this morning to possibly get my medication back. They were not home at this time. Leading to this incident, meaning tonight, Andrelo dumped my purse out and tried to take the rest of my medication, Dilaudid, 8 milligrams. When he heard that I had called 911, they went to the car, throwing my medication across the yard. But they said they would be back. According to her father, when the deputies left, Camry told him she was leaving and she was going to her mom's house in Ocala because she was afraid Andrelo and his friends would come back. He says that she left around midnight, and then sometime after that he passed out. The next day he called Andrelo's phone to tell him that he would take care of whatever happened and not to harm Camry. And then he tried to call Camry several times, but he couldn't reach her. He left his residence and he went to stay with another daughter. He said three or four days later his daughter asked him where Camry was, and Mr. Mitchell told her she was at her mom's house, where Camry had told him she had gone. He said his other daughter started crying and she said she wasn't there. It isn't until a week after the original incident that Mr. Mitchell reports his daughter missing. Police tried to make contact with Andrelo at his home, but he wasn't there. They did make contact with him by phone, and they asked him to meet them at a local gas station to get his side of the story. He said, I don't know what she told you, but I went to her house to tell her not to come to my house. Obviously, he didn't mention being armed with a gun or threatening her, or even mention anything about the pills and their little business deal, just, yeah, I went over there to have a little chat about her not coming to my house again. Police told Andrelo to meet them up at the gas station so they could present him with a trespassing warning in person. Andrelo never showed up. Then they checked his record, and they learned that he was a sex offender that was not currently registered at the address where he was staying in Swanee County. So at this time, criminal charges were filed for both the failure to register and the burglary at Camry's father's house. It's important to note here that for both of these violations, Andrelo was probably looking at some more serious time, given his record, and he knew that. Andrelo is criminally sophisticated. He's been part of the system for his entire adult life, in and out enough times to understand it well. He was on probation. He had just had a baby. He didn't want to leave the baby, and he took them people to a bond here and this and that, and people gave him 30 years. But you see that all the time here, these young guys, oh, well, I can do this, this and that, man. No, when you on probation, you forfeit your right. You give up the right to a trial attorney, and you at the mercy of the law. And they can give you what they want to give you because you pled guilty while you was on probation to the original charge. And then, not to mention, Red, you called another sales charge. So if you go to bond hearing, you have established a pattern for yourself that the judge has got to here to the law. Due to the fact that you was on probation, but you ain't got that much time to continue to sit down in them jails. See, he's not telling y'all everything. He's just telling his mama what she want to hear. You ain't got that much time sitting in jail when you was on probation before them people want to bring you before a bond hearing. Even if you try to say, I'm going to sit until I beat my original case, okay, you beat the original case, you still violated the law by coming in contact with law enforcement officers. I have so, and, and the best thing for you to do Seriously, so that you can be available for your family in the future, just take a plea. Listen, a year and a day, 24 months. 24 months with your situation, Red, is a blessing. You think I wanted to take five years? But, you know what I'm saying, I, I had to look at everything. Do I want to risk going to trial 
and catching 30 years, something I know I didn't do, but, you know, so I'm looking at my family, the situation. Well, you know what, Lord? If I lose this child and I get 30 years, I know that'll score my mom. To see her son, you know what I'm saying, basically with that much time, you know, I mean, it's pretty much the rest of your life. Three days after the missing person report was filed for Camry Mitchell, police learned that her vehicle had been spotted on 184th Street, about three miles from her father's house, sitting about 100 yards into standing water that had been left over from Tropical Storm Debbie. This area, by the way, is an area well known to Andrea Witcher, his family that lives all around here. There was an address on 184th Street, a trailer home, where he was known to spend time dealing drugs and his grandma's house where he lived with Heather and his cousin is just a few miles down the road. Three different witnesses on 184th Street all gave the same basic information when they were questioned by police. The report notes that these witnesses are all related, and I was told that one of them was Andrelo's cousin. This witness has his own prior drug convictions. So, these witnesses, who are all related, and we're going to use that term witness, Loosely here, given their possible connections to Andrelo and motivation to perhaps convey misinformation, these witnesses noticed the vehicle parked partially in standing water that was covering the road. Initially, they said they thought that it had maybe stalled out there, and in fact, one of these witnesses, named Terrence, said that he believed the car had been driven into the water to make a fraudulent insurance claim. Notably, he was at the scene when police responded to the vehicle and he was heard by a bystander to say, cuz, as in cousin, they found the girl's car. According to these three related witnesses, a few days after the initial observation of the vehicle, the car's trunk had been opened. Later, it was spotted closed. And after that, a few days later, it was further into the standing water. One witness recalled that on September 1st, a week after Camry had last been seen, she heard people on the side of the road with the vehicle but it was dark and she couldn't give a description of the subjects. She said that ever since the water had blocked the road, they had heard people in that area during different times of the night. Which does seem strange, doesn't it? People in the area of a huge, waist-high puddle in the middle of a road? Another statement taken from someone who had spoken to one of these witnesses said her understanding of the timeline was that the vehicle was first seen nosed into the water, right around the time Camry went missing about a week and a half prior to when it was discovered. And then a day and a half later, it was moved with the trunk open. And then a couple hours after that, the trunk was closed. During the search of the vehicle, prescription medication belonging to Camry was found. Hydromorphone, 8 milligrams, that's the Dilaudid, 56 pills, and Alprazolam, which is Xanax, 1 milligram, 21 pills. But guess what wasn't there? The oxycodone that she had gotten from the pain clinic and stole back from Andrelo, the pills which he had come to her dad's house to steal back. Fifteen days after Camry went missing, her mother contacted police about rumors that she was hearing on social media. Pumpkin had done away with Camry, and they would never find her. Also that Stephanie, Camry's friend who had gone to Andrelo's house with her, was next on his list. There were also rumors that Camry's father knew more than he was telling. About six months into the investigation, Suwannee County Sheriff's Office investigators met with Camry's father again. At this point, he's got an active warrant for a DUI and license violations 
so they call him down to the station to have a chat. He voluntarily agreed to meet with them at the criminal division, and he wasn't even told about the arrest warrant at that time, so he came down of his own free will. There was an extensive interview, which the police report said, quote, focused on the fact that a previous polygraph examination showed that Mr. Mitchell was not truthful. So I'll just remind you that now we've got two polygraphs, one with Turtle and one with Mr. Mitchell, that investigators say both showed deception. But we already know that Mr. Mitchell wasn't truthful because years later we have multiple statements where he appears to dole out information in what he believes to be a need-to-know basis, exactly like I would expect any drug user to do, whether they were guilty of something or not. In this interview, he now admits that he was the last person to see Camry alive and that she left in her vehicle at about midnight. That's consistent. But then he adds that they had both been injecting Dilaudid heavily all evening. This is after the incident with Hendrello and his buddies, which occurred around 10 p.m. It's at this time that he tells police that he went out to his truck to get more pills and money. So what he's saying is basically that after Andrello and his buddies left, which occurred around 10 p.m., that he and Camry were injecting this medication, which is one of the medications that was found in her car. And it's at this time in this report that he tells police he went out to his truck to get more pills and money. He had them hidden there. He opened the latch on the truck, and that's all he remembers. He said he blacked out. He woke up on the ground the next morning, and pills were laying on the ground around him, and his money was gone. He couldn't explain the reason for the blackout, although if we're to take his word about injecting the Dilaudid, something that he had not mentioned previously, I'm guessing that was the culprit. Dilaudid is strong stuff, and injecting it is going to knock you out. But here's the part that's interesting to me. If it's true, that they were both injecting this Dilaudid, and he passed out, it's likely that she passed out for some amount of time too. There's a point when you inject medications like that where you'll nod off for a certain amount of time, and we don't know what happened in that certain amount of time. And the question is, did Andrelo Witcher come back? Andrelo's history shows us that he had a propensity to stake out a scene from nearby. Turtle described sending him on a bike once to ride by a residence where police had been called by his ex-wife after one of her many beatings. He wanted his cousin to check out what was happening. I think her pumpkin got into it about something. And he was down to my grandma's house. He was like, Turtle. I called police and said I did this to him. I said, what did you do? He said, Turtle, I ain't even touched it this time. He said, ride down there and see what's going on. Another time, he said they rode by his grandmother's house while the CSI investigators were searching for a body. Yeah, I think I heard, you know, they said he um, found a body in the back of your grandmother's um, woods. And I, I said, what? No, so we all, that, that is not true. I, I, we found out. <laughs> okay. so we like, we like what's, what's, what's going on? You know, so we so we were really trying to find out, you know, what's going on because we knew we couldn't go down there, you know. So we just trying to figure out what was going on and stuff. And they said they was looking for... Um, Heaven. So that's when I um, called my cousin and told him to come over and I talked to him and stuff. And I asked him when you say I, call your cousin, you called Andrello. Yeah, you know, and, um, I said, well, you hear about all them people? Um, you know, yeah, um, I go, say they say Heather, I the buried down Grandma's yard. I said, what? You know? And he said, what? He said, what? He said, when they said, when, what's the, I said, no, nah. you know, that's when, um, 
After he came, he came over to the house and stuff. I, I want to say, I want to say we, um, I know we did. We got in the, we got in the car again, I believe, and we rode by the house and stuff. You know, just to see. Cops still there? Yeah, like, I'm like, what? You know, we went back to my house and stuff. Andrela was also watching the bus stop when Heather was leaving for Florida. And you have to ask yourself how he knew she was going to be there at that specific time, unless he was following her. What happened after you cleared the medical center? Um, I took her straight to the bus station, got a ticket. Her, my boyfriend at the time, Kevin Keller, and, and myself were sitting there waiting for the bus to come. And supposedly Andrello was in that area watching us because he called her phone and asked her questions of why was she sitting on a motorcycle when really it wasn't her sitting on one. It was myself on my boyfriend's motorcycle while we were waiting. Therefore, he was watching us from the bus station. There are quite a few pages in the report related to what was found in Camry's vehicle. It was thoroughly processed. They found her phone. And one tiny blood spot, certainly not enough to suggest a death had occurred in the vehicle, and it could even be incidental and unrelated. They did dust for prints and they logged every item. Without going over the dozens of pages on that list, I did get a sense that she moved around a lot. She stayed at different places because there were lots of clothes, toiletries, makeup, cups, hair accessories, personal hygiene items, over-the-counter medications, first aid items, lots of phone chargers, earbuds, and even some office supplies. Pretty much everything that you would expect to be in the bedroom and bathroom of a female. But it's also possible that she had been packing that night. She wanted to leave. She had told her mom she wanted to do that. And it's also possible that he showed up again before she was able to leave. In February of 2014, police spoke with Camry's former boyfriend, Caleb, and his new girlfriend. Both were admitted drug users, so again, I'll give you the summary of their statements and we'll have to take them in with that caveat. The new girlfriend admitted that she got drugs from Camry's father. She said she continued to hang out with her father after Camry went missing. She said that he was using drugs heavily and his actions made her think he had something to do with his daughter being missing. When they spoke to Caleb, he said that he also admitted he thought her father was involved. He told police that he and Camry shared a bedroom at Mr. Mitchell's house prior to her disappearing, but he had been booked into jail a month before she went missing and he didn't get out until several days after Camry had disappeared. He returned to Mr. Mitchell's house and said that he noticed carpet had been removed and that Mr. Mitchell had since repaired walls and painted in the bedroom. But it's important to note that Mr. Mitchell had said in his handwritten statement to police before Camry went missing that when Andrello and his friends showed up, he had been working in that bedroom on water damage. There had been flooding in the area at the time, and he had even gotten money from FEMA. Some of the incriminating things that Caleb had said about Camry's father was that around 12 days after Camry went missing, around the time her car was found, he saw Mr. Mitchell walk from behind a shed in the backyard, and he was holding Camry's ID card. According to Caleb, Mr. Mitchell said, I fucked up. He also said that Mr. Mitchell had said at one point she got what she deserved. Caleb did admit, however, that he and Camry's father were both under the influence of meth at the time of these statements. But yeah, none of this looks good. In fact, it's clear why police polygraphed Mr. Mitchell. It doesn't look good that he would allegedly be saying these things about his daughter, although we're getting this from another drug user who admitted to being under the influence of meth at the time, and we're not getting any context in either situation. 
the I fucked up, may have been related to taking his daughter to a known drug dealer's house and helping her steal back her pills. I would call that fucked up. Whatever ID card Caleb is talking about, I get the implication, but Caleb also said that Camry still had stuff at her dad's house when she left, so she had not taken all of her things from the house. She didn't pack everything that night, so I'm not sure what probative value there is in her father having an ID card of hers. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't help us much. That statement, Camry got what she deserved? Well, that's just shitty, no matter who said it. And her own father basically told police he thought that she had stolen his money and drugs because they were allegedly gone when he woke. That's a critical point in the timeline, as far as I'm concerned. He first said that his daughter left around midnight, but then he said that they had both been heavily injecting Dilaudid. So if he passed out, was she capable of leaving that house or driving her own car? Or did she leave after he passed out? We just don't know. And how do we even know he had money and drugs in his car? Because of that FEMA payout, he probably did have some money. And I can see one drug user hiding his drugs and money from another drug user, but we don't have any proof of what he's saying about those drugs and about the money. But if it did exist, did Andrelo come back when one or both of them was passed out? Could Camry have left and then come back when her father was passed out with Andrelo hot on her tail? Is it possible that Andrelo took her from there and took the money and the pills Mr. Mitchell mentioned? Remember that we have Andrelo's girlfriend saying that money was stolen from her house? And now we have Mr. Mitchell saying that money was stolen from his vehicle. Is it possible that this is the same money? Or did the girlfriend lie about the money in the first place? We just don't know. Every single one of these people are unreliable narrators. So I don't know if we'll ever know the truth about this part of the story, because I think it's possible that all parties involved are lying about certain specifics to cover up their own illegal activity. There is one detail of note that I'd like to share. In 2015, when Kevin Allen went to interview Camry's dad during his investigation into Heather McCrossin's disappearance, he brought with him a photo lineup of pictures, including a picture of Andrelo's uncle, the one who had driven Camry to that pain clinic the time that Turtle's wife met her. And he had a picture of Andrelo's cousin, the one that Heather McCrossin and Andrelo had lived with in his grandmother's old house. Camry's dad positively identified Andrelo's uncle as one of the men with Andrelo that night when they had come to commit burglary at his home. This is the same uncle that drove Camry to the pain clinic. I will also note that this uncle in question has a long history of drug-related issues, and there are also domestic violence charges that have been on his rap sheet. So he is definitely no stranger to this environment. The question is, if this ID is accurate, why didn't Camry tell police the uncle was one of the two people with Andrelo that night at her father's house? We know that she knew him. Did her father get it wrong? Or was she protecting Andrelo's uncle? Because he was also known to be in the game. There were people he supplied drugs to, and it's possible that Camry liked him and didn't want him to get in trouble. If you believe the uncle, he and Camry did have some sort of relationship. Andrelo's uncle told Kevin Allen when he spoke with him that Camry was his friend and that she had even stayed at his house before. There is a lot of ugly stuff that floats around addiction and everything that supporting an addiction entails. 
Almost everyone involved in this story is mired in it, and we have to take all of it into account when assessing the facts and circumstances. I can certainly envision a scenario after hearing what Turtle's wife said about her interaction with Camry related to the uncle, that Camry liked him better than she liked Andrelo. That maybe she even wanted to cut ties with Andrelo and work with his uncle instead. And that that night when they had come to the house, if he was there with Andrelo, maybe she didn't want to get him in trouble. Maybe she thought, I'll get Andrelo into trouble and I can work with the uncle. Sometimes it's hard to talk about victims who have issues with drug abuse and not sound like you're blaming the victim. I hope that in my coverage of this case, people will come away with the understanding that I'm talking about these issues surrounding the drugs in a non-judgmental way. There are facts. People who deal with addiction make bad choices. That's a fact. That's not a moral judgment. That's just a fact. Um, these bad choices have consequences. That's just another fact. But I hope that you understand I'm doing so without judgment. Drugs are an integral part of this story. So we have to talk about it. We can't ignore it. But I will tell you that I have far more judgment against people who use the addictions of others to exploit, to victimize, and to profit off them than I do the people who have the addiction issues themselves. Because I think the latter is a weakness, but the former is a moral flaw. In the next episode, you're going to hear more from Camry's mom. Stay tuned.